It's, it's not just technical ways of calling things, of constructing sentences. It's a whole philosophy that is behind the language. It is a reflection of our, our view, of the world ethos. When you speak many languages, you're opening many doors. Even if you cannot open them entirely, you at least open it a little so you can see a little bit what is in there. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Ndri Therese Asi Lumumba shares the lessons of three decades in Africana studies at Cornell University. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. Today, we are joined by Ndri Therese Asi Lumumba, director of the Institute for African Development and professor in the Africana Studies and Research Center at Cornell. Dr. Asie Lumumba has been involved with a variety of initiatives related to African languages in her over 20 years at Cornell, and we are excited to hear all about it. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Andre. Thank you very much for having me today. I'm happy to be here. So I do have to say it is actually quite exhausting looking at your CV and all your accomplishments. Before we dive deeper into the history of African languages at Cornell, can you please tell us a little bit more about your background with languages and also your research interests? Okay, background to languages. I, I will start by uh, saying that uh, this year marks the, my 30th year at Cornell. Wow. I came, I came as a Fulbright Senior Research Fellow, uh, expected to stay a few months. <laughs> a few months uh, led to what it is. Yeah, we know how that goes. <laughs> Later. So in terms of language, uh, I'm from Cote d'Ivoire in West Africa. And uh, in African countries, usually, you de facto bilingual. Mm-hmm. Because you speak your own language and you expose to so many other languages. Yeah. You may not speak them fluently, but you know enough to have conversation. Like my own language is uh, called in the language family of Tui, uh, Akan language that is mm-hmm. spoken, different uh, variations between Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire. Uh, but I know enough of Bamana, for instance, which is a lingua franca in West Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, the version in Cote d'Ivoire is called a Jula, but it's the same, originating from Mali. Mm-hmm. So I know enough to go to the market and negotiate the price mm-hmm. of, uh, of um, uh, commodity. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I know how to have short conversation in many other languages. So that, that's the reality of the mm-hmm. African continent. Often language, the multiplicity of language uh, languages is shown as a problem, as a deficit. Mm. On the contrary, it should be seen as a source of wealth because I'm going to cite here, quote, uh, some, someone who's uh, writing uh, inspired me. I think either she's a Norwegian or she definitely from uh, uh, the, one of the Scandinavian countries. 
and her name is Eva Enkholm. In her book entitled um, Education Through English, the Use of English in African Schools, that was published a while back by Cambridge <laughs> University Press in 1965. I would like to quote here because it's so powerfully an expression of what a language should be seen yeah. and considered. She said, language is the key to the heart of a people. If we lose the key, we lose the people. If we treasure the key and keep it safe, it will unlock the door to untold riches, riches which cannot be guessed at from the other side of the door. That's mm -hmm. what it is. Mm -hmm. Each language has, it's, it's not just technical ways of calling things, of constructing sentences. It's a whole philosophy that is behind the language. Yeah. And I was telling in one of my classes recently, in a discussion many years back with a mathematician from Cote d'Ivoire, he made me aware of how we structure sentences when we're counting objects. Mm -hmm. Typically in European languages, they will count, they will say the number before they name whatever they're counting. Yeah. In African languages, they will name the mm -hmm. thing before mm -hmm. they say how many. And then we had this really eye-opening conversation that all this, even the way we count, is not just technical. Is a reflection of our, our view, mm -hmm. of the philosophy, of the world ethos. So, so when you speak many languages, you're opening many doors. Even if you cannot open them entirely, to use the uh, uh, metaphor of Engholm, um, uh, 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 you at least open it a little so you can see a little bit what is in there. So that's what it is uh, in terms of uh, the reality of African languages. Of course, they present some challenges uh, in terms of which language to use in the school. And if you're going to use everybody's uh, language to teach them in the early years of learning, uh, how do you uh, produce the textbooks? How do you produce the teachers who are not only able to speak the language, but who are trained as teachers yeah. to, 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 to convey a content? So mm -hmm. it has its own complexities and difficulties, but at the same time, it's a source of wealth. And oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. No, I can't agree more. This is beautiful. <laughs> So you wear many hats at Cornell and in the academic community. How has the field of African studies changed since you arrived at Cornell, uh, both on our campus and at large? Okay, uh, here maybe I should clarify something, because it's not only here at Cornell, but globally, there is not a clear understanding always between, uh, uh, in terms of the difference between Africana studies and African studies. Mm -hmm. African studies is the study of the continent. And Africana studies uh, is a field, it's a discipline that incorporates Africa and the diaspora. Because it was determined that 
you can't understand fully what happened, what's happening, what's going to happen in the diaspora, be it in the United States or Brazil, if you do not have an understanding of Africa, the, the place, mm -hmm. the people they came from, the history. I had, in parenthesis, this morning at the IAD, I have introduced as a director a new program called uh, Global Africa Monthly Webinar. Mm -hmm. And it was on Africans in science. It was just fascinating. Mm -hmm. A presentation on ancient Africa. And then the Africans who came against their will in the context of the transatlantic enslavement, they did not come only by force to work with their hand in the plantations. There were skilled scientists who were brought here as well. So there was a fascinating presentation on that uh, and two other presentations on where we are and the very equally inspiring futuristic perspectives. So that's what Africana Studies decided, the, the, those who founded it, decided to capture that. Mm -hmm. Inevitable synergy, uh, necessary synergy, connection, convergence between Africa and its, uh, its, uh, its uh, uh, diasporas. Uh, the late Ali Professor Mazrui referred to global Africa in terms of um, the root, uh, and, and then the branches. Hmm. And, uh, and uh, the branches cannot advance and say, well, now we have grown, we have a luxuriant, uh, luxuriant uh, uh, um, leaves, lot of fruit, so we can forget the roots. Hmm. So imagine what happened. And the root cannot be a tree unless there are those branches. So they, they determine to have that uh, connection uh, in terms of the, the uh, worldview, in terms of philosophy, in terms of um, uh, courses. So that's how Africana studies. That A has a very powerful meaning philosophically mm -hmm. and educationally, programmatically. And by the way, Cornell was uh, the place where that idea of Africana studies uh, was, uh, took place. And uh, now you have hundreds, perhaps thousands, of Africana studies. But it started right here at Cornell. And the founding director of Africana studies, uh, he retired recently, Professor James Turner. And students played a significant role in imagining, creating that space that was named uh, uh, in terms of program as Africana studies. So it included Africa. But there is another possibility that you find in many other uh, academic uh, uh, institutions where they study African studies. So it's the continent. Mm -hmm. Even the connect to the diaspora is not their main focus. So here at Cornell, at Africana Studies, we have all these, this uh, conception of global Africa, to use that term. But then the Institute for African Development it focuses more on issues of, of, uh, of Africa. Uh, and what I'm trying to bring in is to also that connection 
uh, with the diaspora. So then uh, moving toward uh, uh, African studies, that the idea that we can uh, understand best, we can understand uh, and, and plan best uh, for development if we have that uh, dynamic connection. And also in the contemporary period, there are continuously people coming from the continent. Mm -hmm. So the migration to this part of the world, for instance, didn't stop with the forced migration in the context of the transatlantic enslavement. There are people who are still coming in. So when you're thinking of Africa, then it is important to take into account those. So these are uh, clarification about African studies and Africana studies. Mm -hmm. But in terms of uh, the field itself, well, um, since I came about 30 years ago, as I mentioned, it had just celebrated its 20th uh, anniversary when I, I came here. So it has become more a reality. Mm -hmm. uh, some people thought that it would be some, you know, fashionable thing and uh, it would just disappear. But mm. it, it is in academia. It has disrupted academia positively in such a way that uh, it's here to, to stay. It has yeah. created a, a space for social um, institutional transformation, intellectual uh, uh, engagement that necessitates uh, that uh, space that is called uh, or that is represented in African studies. Mm -hmm. So this, uh, I navigate personally between these uh, spaces yeah. So when you reflect on the teaching of African languages specifically at Cornell over the time that you have been here, have you seen any specific changes? I know um, that you have served on the Cornell University Language Education Council a few years ago, yeah. and you also served as chair of the Committee on African Languages and International Studies. What were some of the things related to African languages that these committees have accomplished? <laughs> The broader language uh, uh, education committee, there was a lot of excitement, a lot of excitement because um, the, the languages are related to how you open to the world. Uh, of course, English is becoming more and more like a global language, but mm -hmm. there's a reality that is there that is not covered by the English only. There is a class that uses. Uh, English as, as a language of a uh, professional language. But there are many, the majority of the people in the world, they function even professionally in other languages. So if Cornell is going to increase, enhance its uh, international uh, position, uh, uh, it has to give uh, some kind of thinking and practical ways to uh, manage the language component. So um, a, a lot of uh, discussion was uh, uh, done around less uh, commonly taught languages. So there was a lot of excitement and I sincerely hope that uh, this committee will be uh, resuming sometime. And, and it, it, it is okay. actually the yeah, the language it's now called the language council. And of course, this past year has kind of put a little damper on everything, but it has been reinstated by okay. Wendy Walford. Yeah. I'm very happy to hear that because language is really critical. 
Um, But then for for African languages, when I was uh, doing the report of uh, the committees that I chair, uh, the Committee on uh, African Languages uh, at Cornell University, I interviewed the founding director, Uh, whom I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed uh, one of the most um, inspiring uh, language teachers. He taught uh, Kiswahili for more than 30 years at Cornell. Um, I I would say in parentheses before I I, I move forward, I was teaching a course on um, education and uh, sustainable development in Africa. And one of my students, an African-American student who was doing his PhD here at Cornell. Uh, we use the text on education for self-reliance in Tanzania. He said, I must go to Tanzania. Hmm. Say, well, uh, what will you be, uh, do? do uh, what do you plan to do? And we talked about it. Say, well, how are you going to prepare to go? Uh, and then eventually we talked about the need for him to master a language because mm-hmm. one of the uh, uh, aspects that uh, he found the most fascinating is that the first president of Tanzania made of Swahili a language of instruction, mm. um, uh, starting with the basic education and he went all the way to the university. And uh, there were issues, I will come back to them, uh, about the perception of African languages, which are not, were not actually considered languages. They are dialects. So it was to diminish the significance of the African languages. Or oh, they will not be able to uh, capture complexities. One of the things that uh, the late President Mali uh, Munirere did was to translate uh, Shakespeare mm, in wow. Swahili. Yeah. Okay, so uh, he was not trying to make a point, but he he was an intellectual, present intellectual, and he was doing those um, kind of innovative uh, enterprises, very uh, uh, inspiring. So the point here is that when I interviewed Professor James Turner, he said at the time when Africana Studies started, they thought of African languages as an intrinsic part of the of such a project yeah but at the time as he he explained it's when um thousand movies were still showing mm. where you you see those uh episodes where you 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 hear those people who are not supposed to be fully really um uh, advanced in their thinking, in their capacity to express themselves, the whole colonial cliche mm-hmm. yeah. of the primitive societies, prelogical societies, those people who cannot uh, articulate. So these are not real languages. You can't hear them. You cannot make sense of them. So it was quite a battle. So the battle to establish Africana studies as a field with equal recognition as any other so-called traditional field, including the battle to accept African languages. The same way for language requirement, you can take French or Russian, you must be able to take an African language if you wish 
So now it's 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 uh, appears it sounds like uh, it's normal, but at the time it was not a normal thing. Well, mm-hmm. we, we you are trying to establish this new field. Now you want to bring all sort of things that don't make sense, African language. But now it is it is accepted. You can take uh, Swahili as uh, as for your language requirement. You and Yoruba. Yes, you're, of course, Yoruba. And when I came here, they were teaching other languages also, Bamana. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we used to have also, I was coming to Yoruba, we used to have also Zulu here. Mm-hmm. There was a professor yeah. uh, of, of literature, uh, PhD in um, English and other things, but also uh, knowledgeable in, uh, in uh, Zulu. She was uh, here uh, teaching Zulu. But uh, now the languages have been reduced in terms of the ones that are taught here on mm-hmm. campus. They are reduced to two, yep. Kiswahili and Yoruba. Yep. But arrangements were made uh, using the technology and uh, the concept of a partnership to uh, uh, provide other languages that were offered or are offered uh, off-site. Uh, one yep. of them is uh, Zulu, I think, is with Yale, and mm-hmm. uh, Wolof, uh, it was with uh, Columbia University. Yep. So there have been those evolution, but in terms of, uh, uh, I haven't looked at it uh, recently, but uh, the enrollment, it was quite impressive. That's why I, I don't know how this professor did it. Uh, professor Mwalimu Nanji that I mentioned, he had a time one more than 100 students in a class. And he was a, such a fascinating, dedicated teacher. You have a, a class full of all those students. You walk uh, past a room, you see him one-on-one with another student. Yeah, here, are another, another, uh, uh, here is another side where you see a group of students doing some work together. So I'm going back to this student who, I, I, who told me he was going to Tanzania. And I told him, get prepared. So I told him, go to see Mwalimu Nanji. I was just astonished when the next semester, I saw them standing in the hallway, chatting and laughing. When you can laugh in a language, it uh-huh. means have some understanding beyond yeah. the basic. So I was looking, I said, wow, how did you do it? <laughs> so uh, languages have evolved and uh, we, we're hoping that they will continue to be strengthened. Uh, Yoruba was added not long ago, but the teacher, uh, I, I know him, he has uh, uh, actually taught language uh, section in some of my own classes, very passionate and knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. So we, we hope that it will continue to grow. Yes. Um, yeah, and I know Kiswahili has been now connected to some of the programs like uh, Global Health, where they have this uh, uh, exchange program with uh, Moshi in Tanzania. So there are, there are possibilities, many other possibilities. Uh, in the report that I wrote, when uh, I finished my three-year term as a chair of this uh, uh, committee uh, in the Africana, uh, we we made several suggestions that uh, we hope 
they, they will, um, some of them at least will be implemented, that we will connect the language with um, Cornell abroad, students who mm-hmm. go abroad in specific countries, how we prepare them, not only in terms of the culture in abstraction, but the culture with the language. And not to see the language also reduce it to just uh, technicalities of uh, say, hello, hello. We need to give more substance to teaching of a language, learning the language of the people you're going to interact with. So there are many, many uh, potential uh, areas of of growth that are there. That's what we love to hear. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, so... What would you tell a language learner about why they should pick up at least one African language? Oh, yes. That's what, why I quoted this, uh, this book. When you pick an African language, you're opening the door a little bit on this fascinating continent. I personally travel a lot. Um, two years ago, I was, uh, I was giving a talk, a uh, very prestigious talk, at the University of Johannesburg. Uh, of one mm-hmm. of the uh, heroic figures uh, in the context of apartheid. And uh, it was a new lecture series that had been uh, 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 created. And I looked at the, the, the bio. I don't know if it can be called bio or CV, but something of my, the two people who presented before me, they were so detailed. I said, but I cannot. They say, well, in honor of the memory of the person <laughs> who, 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 uh, whose name is, uh, is, uh, is the, uh, uh, the, the lecture series bears, you have to do that. Mm-hmm. So in that context, I was uh, made to, to find the number of countries <laughs> I have visited in the world, including African countries. It was that detailed. So this one, I found that I need to make a little more effort. But I had, uh, at the time, in terms of countries where I have had uh, substantive presence, 30 countries in Africa. Wow. Uh, many others, it was passing through. You know, you, you spend a, a day at an airport waiting for that long sure. flight canceled, and then you go <laughs> do a little bit of sight. They were not counting. Countries where I have gone, where I have some kind of uh, uh, substantive um, connection. But this is, I'm saying this because I'm always fascinated. When I travel, I realize that I should be even more humble. Huh. Because the more I travel, the more I realize that there is so much there that I do not know that I need to know. We cannot reduce the African uh, continent. Even if there's a Pan-African project, that doesn't mean that Africa can be reduced to a very homogeneous uh, region. So there's an incredible complexity, wealth that I discover every time I travel to a different uh, site uh, that uh, uh, is uh, very much uh, uh, connected to the language. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so language is very important. If you learn a language, you're opening a little bit the door to mm-hmm. that fascinating continent. Yep. Um, yeah. I love that visual of opening doors. Yes. 
You also serve as the recently re-elected president of the World Council of Comparative Education Societies. Can you tell us a bit about your work in this role? The, the World Council of Comparative Education Societies that I, I had, uh, when I became president, uh, uh, they elected me in 2016, and uh, I brought a few innovations, and one of them was to create two journals, two uh, peer-reviewed journals. One, a short one, 3,000 word, for people, you, junior scholars, but then we found out later that senior scholars also enjoyed pre- uh, uh, submitting papers in that. But another one, a fuller uh, journal called uh, um, Global Comparative Education, ideas of global citizenship, what can we do with education to create precisely the world I was talking about? So that journal and both of them, we published in the six languages of the United Nations, which means Arabic, Chinese, English, French, Russian, Spanish. Um, And uh, yeah, these are the the six uh, languages, maybe. I don't know if I was, I skipped one but that these are the six languages. And when you publish your article in one language, we translate huh. abstract in the other five languages. Oh, nice. So you can also check, Google it. Um, I, will, I will send you the link. You'll see it. It's just trying precisely to create many doors where they are exploring different things. Before we sign off, we'd like to ask you to share your favorite word in a language that you speak, that you love, that you are learning, that you want to learn. What is that favorite word of yours, Andri? Oh, there are so many great words. <laughs> many great words. But one that I would like to use uh, is a, a, a word that is guiding a lot of my intellectual contribution uh, in the past few years. Mm-hmm. The, the word itself is used in uh, Southern African languages, uh, different slight uh, modification. But in terms of what it contains, what it conveys, you find it across the African continent. And that word is Ubuntu. Ubuntu, which reflects that common humanity, Uh Ubuntu that uh, reminds us that we are interconnected, that human-centered, that collective ethos, that I am because you are. Our existence is common. And it's not only we, the human, who have this capacity to dominate, transform, but we have to also acknowledge what is our surrounding, our physical surrounding. So the, the uh, social surrounding is a necessity. We are connected. We have to recognize our common humanity. But we need to also acknowledge the existence of the, the, the earth, of the living things, the animals, the trees. And in different um, uh, talks I have given recently, uh, debate I have participated in, um, in my role uh, in UNESCO, in the World Council of Comparative Education uh, uh, Societies, I have referred to 
what this little virus has reminded us of, that we're not the only one on this planet. Mm. Uh, we the human, we can uh, be kind to each other, but if we're not kind to the environment, it will not be kind to us. If we mistreat the animals, it will not have great return for us. So this is the Ubuntu. It's a very powerful word with a, 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 a content that reminds us that we need to act in whatever we do uh, as not acting in a vacuum, mm -hmm. not being alone. Yep. And uh, if we must um, accept the idea of competition, it should be in terms of competing to do the best for everybody. It's not to do whatever you can to outperform everybody for your own individual advancement. It's the collective advancement, collective well-being. Happiness is not a zero-sum commodity. Yes. You can, uh -huh. we all can have as much happiness as possible. It's not because you have a lot, you're so happy that I, 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 it should translate into uh, sadness for me. No. So what can we do together in this world? Uh, <laughs> this, is, this has really been wonderful, and we appreciate your thoughts and, and uh, everything you've shared with us so much. Thank you very much for speaking of language with us. Thank you again, and have a great weekend. Next week, Cassandra Glynn, Pamela Wesley, and Beth Wassell will join us on Speaking of Language. They gave a talk as part of our monthly LRC speaker series titled Social Justice and the University Language Learner, and we will extend our conversation about this topic on our podcast. Until then, auf Wiederhören! The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners, and do stay tuned for our next episode.